It's no fluke. The audience for this podcast has more than doubled over the last two and a half weeks. I'm not sure what's driving it. It's a bunch of factors, it looks like, but we are grateful that people are listening. There's a lot of word of mouth going on. It looks like before that this increase ends, we may even triple the number of people that we had when it started. It is Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi, and Lisa Garvin. It's really hard to not get tongue-tied when the other three people on the podcast have names that start with L and then with A. How are you all? The three amigos. Good. Still here. (laughs) I haven't said you're listening to this week in the CLE in the first three days of this renamed podcast. Let's see if I can keep it going. We finally have proposed maps from Republicans in the House and in the Senate. How are the two proposals similar? How are they different? And do they come at all close to what voters demanded with the changes they made to the Ohio Constitution to get rid of gerrymandering? Larry Johnston, no one in this process has acted in the good faith that voters thought they would when they voted to change the Constitution. This whole thing was predicated on people acting in good faith, and none of them, not one, has done so. No, I would agree with you. So I'm going to answer your second question first, because no, they did not come close to getting rid of gerrymandering. These are Republican maps. They maintain a Republican supermajority rather than approximating the 55-45 partisan split of actual Ohio voters. They're actually more partisan than the maps we currently have. So I guess that's one major similarity with the plans from each legislative body. They both may violate the constitutional amendment that voters passed to limit gerrymandering. And they both result in two likely Democratic seats out of a total of 15, maybe one. It's Obviously, it's hard to tell. People haven't voted yet. But they carve Cuyahoga County into three districts. And these are two different maps, one from the Ohio House, one from the Ohio Senate. They came out at two different times yesterday. They don't even pretend to try. (laughs) The amazing thing is they're not slick. This is a bludgeoning. They're just saying we're in power. We're drunk with power. So we're going to beat our way forward and do whatever we want. It's kind of astounding. I just I don't think anybody really expected they would be this over the top when 70 percent of the voters said no. You know, I I said this morning in in a message with the editors, we should look at what the alternative form should be again. And what would happen? If the Democrats and the Republicans both had to put maps before the voters and let the voters decide, then they wouldn't do this. Then they wouldn't make them so lopsided as to be preposterous. They would try to make theirs the more legitimate so that it might get through. And what if you let the League of Women Voters or some other independent agency add a set of maps to that? And then put them all in front of the voters, put the maps, the actual maps on the ballot, list what percentage of seats would be Republican and Democrat and let the voters decide what would what would happen to that? Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, I would totally love to vote on that plan. And you're right. I think they would have to try to make them palatable to people or else no one would vote for them or or they could double down. Who knows? They could think, well, we have the Republican majority. We're going to put a Republican map and get all the Republicans to vote for it. I mean, It's not like anybody's thinking about what's best for voters and voter, you know, the issues that people care about. They just want to keep power. But but if the voters had a choice that that one was ridiculous, like everything we've seen from the elected Republican leaders, and that goes all the way up to and including Governor Mike DeWine and the secretary of state, Frank LaRose and the auditor, Keith Faber. I mean, it's all of them. 
if if you had reasonable maps versus ridiculous maps, I think most Ohioans are reasonable. Most Ohioans are not fringe nut jobs. They're they're centrists. And if you trusted the people to do the right thing, I think they would. We can't trust these guys. Well, that's guys, totally true. Completely betrayed the public trust. You know, Bob Cup and Matt Huffman have just decided we are dictators. We we're drunk with power. We'll do whatever we want, whenever we want. Two seats, two Democratic seats in the state. <laughs> right. And right now we have four and we have 16 right. districts. And so we're losing a district because our population hasn't grown like elsewhere in the country. So you're going down to 15. And now we're looking at, you know, one or two Democratic districts. And wouldn't it be nice to see not just districts that are either Democrat or Republicans, but are actually toss ups. And I right. mean, there are a few in here, but the plan that Rep Representative Scott Olschlager, I guess he's from North Canton, he sponsored, he said the political breakdown of the House was eight Republican, five competitive and two Democratic. But when you look at you know, they're a nonpartisan not group. They're not competitive. <laughs> they're saying, no, this is not competitive. They're not even being honest about what they're doing. I, I just, it's such an interesting reaction. Voters are so fed up with gerrymandering that a ballot initiative, an independent one, was heading to the ballot done by, I think it was the League of Women Voters. So the legislature, not wanting that to take place, says, no, 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 we'll come up with a reform. And they put the reform before people and they say, this will balance the state. This will make sure the seats equal the vote. That was how they sold it. Republicans sold it. Voters vote 70 percent in favor of it. And how do they react to that mandate to completely go against it? Well, and can we point out? Obviously, we've talked a lot on this podcast about the deadlines and how they've been broken. But the Ohio, this is not coming from the redistricting commission, the seven member group that includes DeWine and everything, because they just abdicated. They threw up their hands, said, we don't have a map. So you have the legislators whose districts are being decided, deciding the legislative districts. Like, mm -hmm. it makes no sense. And by going back to this competitive district and, and Republican leaning or Democrat, that means all of these decisions are being made in the primaries and not all Ohioans are voting in the primaries. You're actually giving all of your power to a very small percentage of partisan people. Yeah, it's a bad system. The only thing is they'll only be four years. So we have four years to change the Constitution again and strip these guys of the power to do it because you can't trust them. You can't trust Governor Mike DeWine. You can't trust Secretary of State Frank LaRose. You can't trust Matt Huffman. You can't trust Bob Cub. They're all complicit in a betrayal of what people voted for. So don't give it to them. Let the people decide or come up with some other system. We, we got to get that conversation rolling because what we did obviously didn't fix it. They have betrayed the voters. Hopefully the Ohio Supreme Court will fix it. But I don't have any faith in that because Mike DeWine's son, Pat DeWine, won't recuse himself. And we've now looked across the country. This has never happened before. He is the first guy to refuse to recuse himself from a case involving his father. It's staggering the enormity of that. Although there is an out. You can go to the Ohio, the U.S. Supreme Court and argue this is a due process violation and get him bounced. Ultimately, I hope he right. loses his law license. And that's three, three lawsuits right there. These congressional maps are probably going to result in more lawsuits, right? So we're going to have oh, two separate guaranteed. tracks. Yeah, guaranteed. This will all go to court. You're listening to Today in Ohio.
Finally, the day is nigh when parents can get their young children vaccinated. How is it going to work in Ohio? And can those kids be entered in Governor Mike DeWine's scholarship lottery? Layla, you can kick this off because this is your relief day. You finally can lift tons of anxiety off your shoulders. This is like Christmas morning for me. I am so I was so pumped to hear this that the C- CDC's recommendation that vaccines be made available to kids between the ages of 5 and 11 will bring immunity to about 28 million kids in the United States in this age group and really not a moment too soon because during a 6-week period in late June to mid-August, COVID-19 hospitalizations among that group increased fivefold. And, you know, the Ohio Department of Health said that more than 367,000 doses are going to be arriving in Ohio on a staggered schedule during the first week of vaccine administration. And that includes 252,000 shots ordered through the state's allocation and 115,000 ordered by pharmacies through the federal retail pharmacy program. And more doses will be flowing into Ohio as healthcare need, you know, providers need them. Uh, local health departments, pediatricians, family physicians, community health centers, and children's hospitals, they're all receiving shipments and, and will be scheduling appointments or accepting walk-ins. And, um, you know, they'll, they'll be administering the vaccine as the shipments are arriving. So the way to go about scheduling, you can go through your pharmacy, through your pediatrician. I scheduled my kids through the Walgreens online portal. Uh, or parents can go to the state's god-awful get-the-shot website. <laughs> hopefully, are you, hopefully. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. Do your, are your kids aware of the enormity of oh, this? Are they- oh, my gosh. I, my kids are so excited that one of them started crying yesterday and I thought she was upset about getting the shot because that's normally how it goes is, (laughs) but she was upset that her sister was getting it first and that she, and my older daughter who I had scheduled first was like, I'm going to be protected first. (laughs) Like it turned into this competitive thing. 15 minutes? Like, I mean, how about you? How are your kids thinking about this? I think they're they're super relieved. I think this fall, there's been a lot of um, kids they know that have gotten COVID or had to stay home from school for two weeks or their soccer games were canceled for two weeks or they were worried about hockey. And I think this is just a collective sigh of relief that these kids are protected and we don't have to worry as much anymore. And I, I, I don't know what the rules are gonna be going forward for school, but I, I hope they still wear their masks and everything, but you won't have to worry that your kid is gonna be missing out on education or or fun stuff, honestly. You know, it, pre- I- it, it predates me, but I know people who were alive when the polio vaccine became available and they remember like it was yesterday getting the vaccine. Do you think your kids 50 years from now when they're talking about this, yes. we'll talk about the, the they'll remember the scene. They'll remember the setting that this is going to impress upon their young brains forever. I think so, for sure. You know, the kids kids are talking about it with each other. I mean, they all uh, they all know, you know, my my daughter is like, oh, you know, Ethan's getting his on Monday. And, you know, I was at the bus stop and the kids were all like mine's scheduled for you know next week. And I mean, it's it's a it's becoming a big deal. And they're excited. I mean, it's uh, like. Think about this. This is the third school year that COVID has interrupted. My kid is in third grade. So like she had kindergarten. <laughs> like that was not interrupted. Right. And so I think these kids, I, I feel bad for them that they haven't had to have or they haven't been able to have all of the fun experience that goes along with the school, all of the extracurricular stuff. The parents aren't involved in the schools right now. And I think this is a chance back to that normal interaction where they get to go on field trips again, you know? 
think you got to think though that they're if they, if they are so relieved to get it that there's going to be long-term effects of the psychological trauma of this this pandemic i mean it's inevitable because it changed life completely i mean you've been home with your kids much more but if they feel that relieved that means they've had the weight of the world on their shoulders That's what's true. good news i hope lots of people get it done and it'll be interesting to see what schools do as more and more kids get vaccinated those will be stories we'll be covering in the future on our platforms like cleveland.com and the plain dealer it is today in ohio what is the latest blow to first energy this time from the hands of the public utilities commission of ohio and how does it affect ohioans lisa when i read this story and i read the original version that it was coming i was a little confused about what it means to regular people well, and I don't know that it does, but I think it violates rules of corporate separation. So First Energy Advisors uh, applied last April to PUCO, and PUCO approved them as a competitive retail electric provider. It allows them to advise customers on electric suppliers and negotiate lower prices. But back in October last month, the Ohio Supreme Court tossed that decision of PUCO. They said there were very few details in the order. It didn't seem to comply with corporate separation rules. So uh, the First Energy Advisors withdrew its certification. The Ohio Supreme Court accepted that. Um, this is, it, it, it's just more of this tangled web that's been weaved over the last year with House Bill 6 and First Energy. Now, First Energy Advisor will continue to serve its existing customers until those contracts run out, but they cannot take any new customers. But First Energy Advisor attorneys say they will reapply to avoid, quote, the appearance of impropriety. Well, I think that cow has already left the barn. But um, yeah, and this kind of stemmed from a series of text messages back in March of 2020 between First Energy executives, former First Energy executives, Chuck Jones and Dennis Chack and PUCO chairman, then PUCO chairman, Sam Randazzo. And it appeared that they asked Randazzo to push this through with, with very little review. So it looks like, you know, more of these threads are being picked up and cut. You know, we, we talk about First Energy almost every week. There's a different kind of story almost every time. And they're all like the worst company in the history of companies. They're just, they've raped and pillaged the citizens of Ohio in every way you can think of. They just, they reached into our pockets. They stole us blind. The legislature helped them. The PUCO helped them. They, and they keep the revelations keep coming. At some point when this does end, do you think they'll change their name because it's poison? <laughs> Nobody trusts them. Well, and hopefully we can get their name off the Brown Stadium, too. Yeah, this is just this reminds me of Enron back in Houston. I mean, this is just completely tainted. I, I, I can't see them coming back from this. If I were them, I would certainly retire the name or any name that sounded like First Energy. But I don't yeah, I just I don't I don't think yeah, you can't dig out of this hole. This is this is the worst. Everything they did was crooked. Well, I, I know somebody that's having a fight over one of those those retroactive bills. And they're they're arguing that that to for the bill they're getting to be accurate, their bill would have had to be underestimated by some ridiculous percentage. So they don't trust them. They just automatically don't trust them. And you can't blame them because every time you peel another layer of the onion, it's rotten. <laughs> they just right. They are bad. They did bad things. They did everything they could to steal from us. And we just keep learning about more and more. And look, more shoes are coming to fall. I mean, the, the, 
the final charges in this case aren't here yet. And you got to think some of these guys that we've talked about are singing to the feds to get a reduced sentence because the evidence is there that they're crooks. But ultimately, I changed name. Maybe they could go with something like Meta. It's today (laughs) in Ohio. Why has Ohio Governor Mike DeWine canceled all of his in-person events through Saturday? Laura, it's a simple answer, but it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, so he was exposed to two staffers who tested positive for COVID-19. He and both First Lady Fran DeWine actually get tested, I think, every day for it. So they don't have COVID. That that has not been announced, but they were exposed and they just want to make sure that they are keeping safe and keeping others safe. So they will be abstaining from public events and through Sunday, which means he didn't get to go to the Opportunity Corridor uh, ribbon cutting. So is this kind of evidence that it's inevitable that we'll all get exposed to it somehow? I mean, he's the governor, right? I mean, he's got a whole army of people to keep him safe. And if he and his wife get exposed, does it mean that no matter what we do, we're all going to get exposed? I think we're all exposed regularly. I mean, the person, if you go to the grocery store, the person in front of you in the line could have COVID and not even know it. I mean, my mom texted me the other day. She's she's watching my kids today because they don't have school. And she said, is this okay? She, a neighbor had given her some lettuce outside and then he had texted her the next day to say that he tested positive for COVID. So was I comfortable with my kids going to my parents' house? And it's like, I mean, it, it, it's just everybody... I think it's happening. There's a lot of breakthrough cases. Strangers could have COVID. We could be near them. So I, I don't think this is surprising. But Mike DeWine has always been very serious about COVID and taking it seriously. And I think, you know, he's doing the right thing here to make sure that he doesn't get infected or infect other people. So when you were at Playhouse Square last night, was everybody in a mask? Everybody was in a mask. They te- checked your vaccination record when you walked in, like you could show them the real thing or it on your phone or you could show a negative test. And then um, there were those ushers in the red coats, right? They were carrying around a sign at intermission that said, please leave your mask on or something to that effect, because they they just wanted to make sure that everybody was following the rules. And I got to say, I felt a lot safer there than I did at a recent Monsters game where no one was wearing masks. Okay. Interesting. It's today in Ohio. Is it me or was it idiotic to have a ribbon cutting for Opportunity Carter Wednesday, even though the road isn't open now, won't be open tomorrow, probably won't be open until late next week? Layla, this boggles my mind. When you cut the ribbon, the store is open. The road is open. And they gave us some nonsense like, oh, we do this all the time. Yeah, right. No, it's not just you. This was totally dumb. But what else is new, right? <laughs> so, yeah, a bunch of local and state dignitaries gathered yesterday at Opportunity Corridor to celebrate this big grand opening of this much-anticipated roadway that connects I-490 to University Circle, only to then tell people that it won't really be open until November 12th. So they say the reason for this premature ribbon-cutting was because it's hard to coordinate schedules for all the people who are supposed to take part in the ceremony, which included... Governor Mike DeWine, but then the governor couldn't make it because he's quarantining due to a COVID exposure. So, 
you know, womp womp. <laughs> but but you know, you know, Northeast Ohio has been waiting for 20 years for this road to be built. So you know, what's another week, right? <laughs> hey, but but it makes no sense. You uh, you cut the ribbon, the cars go through. I mean, this is just dumb. They oh, all bit... stand in the photo, they look like idiots. They're they all do. cutting their own little piece of the ribbon. I know. So there's I hate Frank it. Jackson holding his one foot part, and Armin Budish <laughs> on the end. They look it look, it look morons. It's I know. Just, I was looking at those pictures. I guess you couldn't really set up a tent in the middle of the boulevard and fill it with public officials and march bagpipers down the street. If they were, yeah, right. If they were actually planning and opening the road to traffic yesterday, they couldn't do all that. So it's it worked out for their little fun ceremony that they that they kept it. It would have been hilarious to have a backup of cars right on the other side of the ribbon, everyone honking their horns, waiting, (laughs) waiting to get through. It just, it makes no sense to me. You don't have a ribbon cut. I mean, it's it's just like when you cut the ribbon, it's done. Come on through, folks. And they couldn't say for sure what day. We hope at the end of next week. Yeah. What does that mean? December? Anyway, I I hope Odot learns a lesson here and never does something this dumb again. (laughs) It's today in Ohio. What will Cleveland's new police headquarters on Opportunity Corridor look like when they have the ribbon cutting for that building sometime in the future, likely a week or two before it officially opens? Lisa? (laughs) Chris, you are on a roll about these ribbon cuttings, aren't you? (laughs) Well, and and we'll see. And we may have to wait until 2026 for that ribbon cutting. So, But the plans for the new Cleveland Police Headquarters was released in a presentation to the City East Design Review Committee earlier this week by the the design firms that are handling it, Dewberry and JMT. It's it's like in the, uh, that area around the Opportunity Corridor is kind of cut up weirdly because of railroad tracks and everything. So this will sit on like a triangular piece of land. It's going to be a 187,000 square foot campus, an L-shaped four-story building that with a front on 75th Street. And uh, it's going to be like a public area, which they had talked about to us a few years ago when they proposed this. There's going to have they're going to have public areas, multiple gardens. It'll be open to the public all the time. So they really kind of want a campus feel for it. The building will look looks kind of modern. It's got like large blue metal panels and that kind of mixes with brick and metal and wood on the exterior. The city planning committee will look at these plans uh, next Tuesday. And like I said, they're hoping for a June. 2026 opening but I can remember back in 2018 in the fall when we were worried about having to move out of 1801 Superior because the Cleveland Police Department was going to buy the Plain Dealer Plaza of course that fell through but um, yeah it's an interesting concept to have and I don't know how many people are going to go to the police station and hang out in the gardens but but we'll see so at that building at 1801, still available, looking right. for an offer. for sale. <laughs> hey, let, let me uh, ask you this. Uh, and Layla, you might have an answer to this too. Okay, here's the plan for the police station. This is what they want to do. But come two months from now, there's a new sheriff in town. We have a new mayor and a new city council. Is there a possibility that they'll want to review this and may suggest maybe buying our building again? Because it will be significantly cheaper than what they're doing. Right. I and don't have honest- an answer to that. Go ahead. Oh, well, and I honestly, and when they, when they proposed it that far east, I, I just feel like that's not a great centralized location. I mean, I, I, I don't, it just seems like an 1801 Superior is downtown. It's already there. It's a big building with its own parking. I, I don't know. We'll see. But it'll be interesting to see. And we didn't really ask Justin Bibb about that when we talked to him yesterday. I wonder what his, his thoughts are on this. 
Right. I mean, he may come in and say, whoa, 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 we're spending, you know, some ungodly sum, whereas there are other possibilities where it could be cheaper. So I I don't know. It's just they didn't spend the money. It's not done yet. They haven't broken ground yet. So I I would expect they're going to do a full scale review of all capital spending to see if it matches up best with the needs of the city. Justin Bibb has a very different approach to the police department and what's going to happen there. So we'll have to see. We'll have to ask that question. I mean, we didn't ask him a lot of stuff yesterday. He's drinking from a fire hose. It was the day after he was elected. He slept for three and a half hours. I appreciated that he gave us Mm -hmm. the time he did. We'll have a story about what he said this Sunday on Cleveland.com and in The Plain Dealer. It is Today in Ohio. Why is Progressive Insurance laying off workers at its Mayfield Village campus? Laura, that's the campus that everybody sees as they drive down 271. They own a massive tract of land. This is a big success story for Northeast Ohio, a very successful insurance company. So why the layoffs? This is a small group of layoffs compared to their 43,000 employees. There are about 76 employees that are going to be losing their job at the end of the year. Apparently, they've they were told a long time ago, January 2020, that the contract would not be renewed and that they would lose their jobs. So they're part of the company's commercial auto insurance procedure group. Uh, They provide services for a third party that contracted Progressive. The good news is some, a bunch of these people apparently have already found new jobs within the company. So that's good news for them and Progressive and Mayfield that gets their tax, (laughs) their income taxes. So it's just a a small change in the business. It's not a sign that they're in big trouble. No, not at all. I, you know, as far as I know, no issues with the company that we've heard about at all. And I think, you know, this story did really well on our website yesterday. I think everybody's always hungry for news about our headquartered companies in Cleveland. And I feel ever since Progressive got flow, their spokeswoman, people are, it's like a hip company. People like Progressive. Okay. It's today in Ohio. We reported before Election Day that nearly every contested Cleveland City Council race had a woman candidate. How did they do? Is Cleveland City Council becoming less male-dominated? Layla? Yeah, you know, well, a greater share of women than ever before were, were running in city council races this season, which could have brought council closer to fairer representation. Um, the council, of course, has been you know historically dominated by men. But, you know, three of five new council members elected Tuesday are women, but only two will be, well, two will be leaving office. And that leaves us with a net gain of one woman on council. So that brings the total number of women on council to five of 17 members. So, you know, kind of inching our way toward uh, fairer representation. So this is how it breaks down. In Ward 4, Deborah Gray will replace Marion Anita Gardner, who really was just serving in the interim after Ken Johnson left office. She didn't run for the seat. So that's kind of a wash. Stephanie uh, House won in Ward 7 on the east side, thankfully beating former Councilman T.J. Dow. That's the seat that Bashir Jones vacated when he decided to run for mayor. So there's uh, there's one new woman on council. Uh, lawyer Rebecca Moore, she toppled incumbent Tony Brancatelli in that very heated 
Ward 12 race. And then Councilwoman, Councilwoman Jenny Spencer and Jasmine Santana, they both retained their seats. So one of the, the women candidates, Dolores Gray, lost to Richard Starr. That's in Phyllis Cleveland's old ward, Ward 5. And then Chris Harsh beat Kate Warren in Kevin Kelly's Ward 13. So so there you have it. It's five of 17 members. There'll be women a little, a little bit disappointing that it's so difficult to reach representation in city council that's proportionate to the population, obviously more than half of the population are women. But um, among this incoming council are some really strong new members. So hopefully their candidacy will inspire others and and hopefully that on-ramp to local politics will remain open. Well, and one of the things that might drive more women to seek seats is the participatory budgeting that we've been talking about. And Justin Bibb did say yesterday he's setting $30 million of the stimulus aside. And then every year, part of the budget will be set aside to have Clevelanders suggest ways to spend it. And then Clevelanders choose the best of those proposals. I don't think there's any more effective way of getting people involved in government than to think about how tax dollars are spent. And, and even if the projects they choose don't end up to be life-changing, the idea that you're involving more people in government can't help but make them want to be a part of it, right? That's right. Absolutely. And and in what we've seen, Robin Goyce did a great story looking at other communities where they've done participatory budgeting to great success. And she found that there are opportunities for civilians to take on kind of a leadership role in each of those projects and kind of marshalling those those uh, community-inspired projects to the finish line. And that really is a pipeline to local government for a lot of a lot of communities. And that would be tremendous to start something like that here in Cleveland. And what was funny is when we did that story, some of the existing people in government were like, well, no, no, no. The people get to pick us and we get to do it. Right. Uh, and I didn't know what to think of it at first. Is this just a, a gimmick or whatever? But But based on what we've seen elsewhere, it really does get people to think about leadership and government. And I mean, we need more people to do it. Turnout in the election Tuesday was still pretty low. uh, And one way to get engagement is by letting people help decide how to spend the money and to see the actual results of those decisions. So, you know, this is a start. Five women out of 17 is still pretty bad. uh, But maybe through these other processes, he'll will attract more. We'll have to see what the breakdown of Justin Bibbs' cabinet is as well. Mm-hmm. It is today in Ohio. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks to the much bigger audience that is listening to this podcast. If you have thoughts about it, drop me a line. I am at C-Q-U-I-N-N at Cleveland.com. C-Quinn at Cleveland.com. We'll be back Friday to wrap up a week of the news. 